This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honors the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. I'm Stephen Portsale. My name is Andrew Carroll. This is another entry in the Redux edition of our podcast where we will be posting bonus non-character actor content for anyone subscribed to HBM+. And for this episode, we're continuing our Leading Legend series where we select an A-list star and each recommend one movie in which they appear. And in this episode, we're covering Kristen Stewart, a.k.a. Case 2. Uh, do you have a little bio on it? I do, there? yeah. Kristen Stewart was born in L.A. in 1990. She began acting at eight years old. Initial roles included thrillers like Panic Room and Undertow, as well as children's adventure films like Catch That Kid and Zathura, A Space Adventure. Her major break came in 2008 with the first film in the Twilight Saga, which garnered her a BAFTA Rising Star Award and legions of fans to rival the Roman Empire in its prime. After the Twilight film series ended in 2012, Stewart, on a path similar to her co-star Robert Pattinson, pursued roles in mostly independent cinema in films like Camp X-Ray, Lizzie and Kelly Rockhart's Certain Women. She has collaborated with French director Olivier Assayas twice, first in The Clouds of Sils Maria, for which she became the first American to win the César Award for Best Supporting Actress. Second, she led Assayas' 2016 masterpiece, Personal Shopper. Between 2019 and 2020, Stewart returned to the mainstream in the films Charlie's Angels, Underwater and Happiest Season. In 2022, she will be be the winner of the Oscar for Best Actress for her role as Diana, Princess of Wales in Pablo Lorraine's Spencer. Manifesting that now, Stephen. It could happen. Although, I I feel like the I think it's an open horse race. It is an open horse race, for sure. I feel like the buzz on that performance had sort of dissipated and it was a bit surprising when she got the nom. Mm. But it's weird that everyone in that category is nominated for a movie that didn't get nominated for Best Picture, mm. which makes it sort of a weird race, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. usually you'd be like, oh, whatever is the best movie might be whoever yeah. is the winner of that category. So it's very strange. Yeah, I might let you talk about Stuart first as I know you're such a huge fan. Yeah. Well, um, that was your idea to cover her. Yeah, yeah. Well, I really just love Personal Shopper. Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's the basis. The answer for everything. Yeah. It's just like, there, this, there's this one movie I really like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. I love her. I, mean, I think she's a real star, so definitely worth us covering in that, like, she has that quality when she's on screen that you just can't take your eyes off yeah. of her. And I think there's a natural coolness to her, and she can be very charismatic. Obviously, she's very beautiful. That's it. I'd be curious if you agree with this. I've always found that what makes her unique is that she often reads on screen as being quite guarded. Like yeah, I would she, agree. Yeah. She has this kind of tentative way of speaking, and I feel like she moves in a more naturalistic, less perfectly composed manner than mm. a lot of her contemporaries. And I think because of that, I always get a sense that she's like not revealing everything about the characters she's playing to the audience. Like There's a mystery to her, you know what I mean? I think that makes her a little too complicated, a performer for many roles written for stars in Hollywood, where they're often kind of archetypes, you know, like action hero, mm. love interest, you know, the comic relief. But it makes her great in like indies or art house movies or the odd big movie where she gets to play a more complicated character. Mm. Like, um, I've only seen the first three Twilights, but I always even liked as a teen how gothy Bella was. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And I watched all five in one day last year, so. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> was that a roommate thing? No, no, no. It was, a, it was a holiday thing. Went on holidays with a load of friends and we watched all of them in one day. I had square eyes by the end of it. Yeah. What do you think of the franchise? Overall, the I think... The third one's the best, right? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, they all kind of blur together yeah. uh, at a certain point. Uh, yeah, no, uh, like, entertaining. Kept my attention for 10 hours. Jesus. <laughs> I think they get a bad rap. I think they're better than what people say. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, as you mentioned. The books that. are insufferable, but... <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure that's a But then, they get, like, good directors to make those movies. Like, mm. David Slade made the third one. Catherine Hardwick. Catherine Hardwick, yeah, yeah obviously. Um, Bill Condon did the last two, although I haven't seen that. You know, I only watched um, Tombstone last night. Tomb- Catherine the- Hardwick. 
Produ- production designer on oh, Tombstone. That's cool. Yeah. The only movie I've seen of hers other than Twilight is that um, Red Riding Hood movie with Amanda Seyfried and Gary Oldman, which is sort of like Twilight Light. Yes. But it's not yeah, that bad yeah, yeah. either. But it's it's kind of gothy. Mm. I don't know. But yeah, I think about on case two, I think what's really admirable about her, as you mentioned, is that like her and her Twilight co-star Robert Pattinson have used the, the fame that that YA franchise mm. gave them to spend a few years working with auteurs and making the movies. I get the vibe that they personally would like to see that might not get made if not for like Batman. Star wattage. <laughs> he's kind of ruined it now that he's doing Batman. Mm. But I mean, like, stuff like Personal Shopper or Clouds of Sils Maria. The Lighthouse. Like, the Lighthouse with yeah. Pattinson, High Life, mm. you know, Damsel, movie like that. The Devil All the Time, which we just talked about in our Roddy Kill episode. Um, I've loved Stuart in smaller movies. Like, I, I think that movie that Kelly Reichardt made, the drama, Certain Women's Really Good. I loved her in Still Alice, which she starred in alongside Julia Moore, who earned an Oscar for her performance there. And um, I thought Stuart was great in The Happiest Season. Yeah, Even, so did I. Yeah, yeah, I love that movie. I have, I have some problems with that movie in that, like, she should have dumped Mackenzie Davis and hooked yeah. up with Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, but, but the, uh, here's the issue. Aubrey Plaza isn't enough of a character in the movie for that to really happen. Like, people always love to say say that, but Aubrey Plaza just got, doesn't get enough to work with in that film for that to be, like, a, a logical or, like... I suppose, you're right. Story clear path, if you get me. Like, we, no, don't get me wrong. I'd love to see it as well, but there needed to be more of her in it for it to be a viable option. For sure. I also think that movie's a little too broad. I kind of wish it was more... I think that people act in that movie crazy for no reason, like Alison Brie. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, true, yeah. We should do Aubrey Plaza on our main feed. Anyway, um... <laughs> I should say also, when it was first announced that Stuart was going to play Princess Diana, I was like, that's weird. (laughs) I was, yeah, I had a similar reaction. She's not British. Mm. Doesn't really look like her. And I went from that, from wondering kind of, could she handle it when it was first announced to thinking after I've seen the movie, like, in what director Pablo Lorraine and writer Stephen Knight's take on the story was, she was perfectly cast. I don't think the movie would work without her. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that movie is this like psychological drama. Will they kill me, do you think? Yeah, with like campy elements like that about a woman quietly raging against and buckling under the weight of expectations, mm. you know, that the royal family placed on her until it reaches a breaking point and she decides to leave. And I think, you know, Stuart perfectly captured the inner turmoil of Knight and Lorraine's version of Diana while at the same time adding to that heightened vibe of the movie because I think just having a famous American actress play Diana while all the worlds in the movie are these like less well-known British thespes does give the impression to viewers subtly of like the alienation Diana might have felt. You know? yeah. So I keep thinking about Spencer all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard to shake. No, it's certainly. Much um, like Olivia Sayas' 2016 masterpiece Personal Shopper. Go. Yeah. So Kristen Stewart plays Maureen Cartwright a personal shopper in Paris for supermodel Kyra Gelman played by Nora Wallstatten Uh, Maureen is also a medium hoping to make contact with her recently deceased brother Lewis but instead finds that her grief is attracting malevolent spirits putting her in great danger What are you doing in Paris? I'm waiting I'm gonna go What are you waiting for? My uh, brother died here My, My twin brother died in Paris an accident? No. No, heart attack. I actually have the same malformation. Does it scare you? No. I didn't scare him. And you're staying here to mourn? No, I'm waiting. I told you I was waiting. What are you waiting for? So we made this oath. 
whoever died first would send the other a sign. So let's get personal, Stephen. Oh. Yeah. Uh, personal Shopper is one of my favourite films because I relate to Maureen so much. And this film came out in 2017 in Ireland, uh, only a few months after my granddad died and three years after the tragic death of a good friend. So I was initially left kind of cold by the movie and by Stuart's performance. But as time went by, the film was never really far from my thoughts. And I realised that I was seeing a lot of myself in Kristen Stewart's kind of emotionally numb performance. And as 2017 went on and I kind of slowly came apart emotionally. Thank God this is on the Patreon feed. My mom's not listening to this. <laughs> um, I really clung to that identification I had with the character, Maureen. And grief, especially grief tied to the death of a close friend or family member, can change you. And I was left pretty shaken up and stuff I hadn't properly processed was starting to come to the surface, affecting my professional and personal life during that year. And I was numb, much like Maureen, and I withdrew when it came to harder, more difficult emotions like anger or sadness, much like Maureen does in this. Uh, but life goes on, and so I had to as well. Uh, I went to therapy, finished my master's and got a proper job. Uh, but personal shopper was never far from my mind still. And time, like grief, will change you whether you like it or not. And in 2020, when the pandemic was in full swing, uh, I finally took my copy of Personal Shopper out of its plastic after two years. <laughs> I felt like I was ready to watch it again. I actually watched it the same day I watched The Clouds of Sils Maria, which we covered for Juliet, our Juliet Binoche episode two yeah. years ago, I think. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. How time flies. Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun and in a pandemic. Uh, and instead of being left a shaken mess, uh, like I thought I would be, I was like completely taken in by the film, both like as like the art house ghost story that it is with like really Hitchcocky and kind of thriller elements as well. Yeah. And as a representation of something from my past that I'd kind of made peace with. But aside from all that deeply personal stuff I just said... It's also just a brilliant film in its own right. Mm. It's all just it all just seems so effortless. That's true. In the way it's like it's written, shot, directed and performed like I all of the horror stuff is really well done and uh, interlocks really well with the kind of drama and the Hitchcocky and suspense throughout the film. But it's just rare you see a director as kind of confident in their lighting of a film as Olivier says isn't this and like if someone were to ask me who had the best costuming of a single actor in the last decade I'd point them to this like you follow me on Twitter you've seen me I, oh, there's once, once every month or two I'm posting like just a picture of Kristen, Kristen Stewart in Kristen, Kristen Stewart <laughs> Kristen Stewart in uh, Personal it's Shopper it's either Kristen look, Stewart or Cy Elwin from yeah that's true <laughs> yeah both man. great fits um, a serious man I mean and like everything that's on the surface of the plot interlocks like in a really satisfying way as the film goes on that you barely notice it's starting to turn towards this kind of evasive, slippery, psychological puzzle that it eventually becomes. And we're never actually certain whether Lewis is actually trying to contact Maureen as she hopes he is or whether almost every spirit is like a manifestation of Maureen herself that she's like spiritually like projecting out into the world or whatever. This film has a lot of stuff to do with spiritualism and like the occult and mysticism, even though those, those three are three completely different things. Um, and like she desperately wants these kind of manifestations to be Lewis, even though like one of the ghosts is definitely female and the other is like some kind of genderless creep uh, who keep texting her. Speaking of which, more filmmakers should really learn how to film a phone. Oh, absolutely. That's yeah. the best part of the movies, the 20-minute yeah. Eurostar sequence. Yeah. And like the, like the thing, I think, I can't remember what started it. I think it might have been House of Cards that had like the text. I think it was Sherlock. Might have been Sherlock that as had well. the text Maybe House of Cards too, yeah. displaying as they were being written on the screen. And like. It's very uncinematic. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's kind of cool the first time you see it. Yeah. And then as it goes on and you see it in the same show or t- or movie or in other stuff as the years go by you're kind of like alright this is a really big crutch at this st- at this stage well, when well, it should when it really wasn't that great a tool to begin with I will say though when you watch when they don't do that and you watch a character get something on a phone in a movie or TV show and like I'm sitting 
on the sofa quite a bit away from my tv i always can't read <laughs> yeah that's like, yeah yeah, that? no, yeah so i get why the explanation to it i think personal shopper handles it like amazingly yeah 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 just use your camera <laughs> yeah yeah you know? although one insane thing about this about this film like in fairness it came out in 2016 so i don't know how um people having their phone on silent has changed over the last uh six years um but she's always wearing her earphones in and she's always like texting and you can always hear like the of the, like, the iPhone keyboard or like her locking her phone or like a message of a message arriving and like I couldn't have my phone on for two seconds the sound on my phone on for two seconds if those with the sounds like can't be done hate it um, and I assume everyone else does as well because everyone else has had their phone on silent for like 30 years unless you're over the age of 30 32 yeah. <laughs> um, like they're, they're just on the kind of supporting cast uh I think there's not a huge number. There's like there's not a huge number of the supporting cast. First of all, because the film Maureen is in every scene essentially, and uh, the film is very much from her perspective. And there are, but there aren't just in general a huge number of German actors that have crossed over into English language cinema. Like there's Daniel Bruhl, Diane Kruger, just the guy from Sensei, Max Remelt. That's the only other one I mm. can think of. I'm trying to think of it. Bruno Ganz. He's Austrian, well. <laughs> or even Swiss. He's yeah, also he's, dead. He's Austrian. He's dead. Is he dead? He died like last year or two years ago. God, can't believe you tell me like this. Sorry, <laughs> no. Oh, sorry, yeah. this is how you found out. No, so there aren't a huge number of German actors that have crossed over into the English language cinema. But Lars Erdinger, Eidinger, even Erdinger's a beer. I love his beer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good. He really deserves to be one. The way that man like crushes ice between his teeth in like. I think one of the only one of the only like big scene he has in the movie where he's talking to Kristen Stewart is like is so sinister. He's really good in High Life as well. I'm not sure I, I remember. He's the him. guy who dies of cancer. The, the, At the, near the, the very start of the yeah. film, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think yeah, it's an art house film, but I think it does have a broader appeal to people that love suspense thrillers or horror. But I think they should be aware that the film kind of treats all of these things with complete seriousness because the whole thing is from Maureen's Maureen's viewpoint, and she is like very like serious about contacting her dead brother. And like every choice in this movie is a home run, much like in Tombstone, every choice is a home run. Of that uh, weird that you can compare those two. That's all I've got on Case You and Personal Shopper. No, it's really interesting to hear because I, I like that movie as sort of a genre exercise. I, I just love the way Isaiah shoots sort of action and like how people move through the world. Because like mm-hmm. I've seen a couple of his other movies, like Demon Lover and Boarding Gate is another one. There's a lot of kind of like the ease that people can travel through the world and mm. like can always be in contact with each other. There's a lot of like technological stuff yeah, in those yeah. movies and moving through borders and stuff like that. Like, and um, I think he's just like a really good filmmaker of that kind of like bustling world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, no, it's really interesting to hear as because I would wonder how the movie would play for someone who, you know, went through grief mm. because it's not a version of it that you typically see in cinema yeah that's true yeah usually it's the the manchester the, by the, the sea yeah the, know, yeah it's either that or it's the jake gillenhall effect of like exactly yeah falling to your knees and screaming at the sky in the rain or there is more of a kind of like numb determination mm. in christian stewart's performance yeah it's kind of yeah. haunting yeah yeah it's yeah. like it's the, there's this only there's one thing driving her and if she can't get it and like that's how the, it the has film to work it has know? to work yeah and yeah. that's what I, that's another thing i love about the film in that you're never sure if it does mm. even when it's over and it's like, is that you, Lewis? Or is it just me? It's so good. Such a good last line. Yeah. yeah. Great movie. Um, I wish I talked about something that kind of impacted me personally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I watched uh, Lizzie for this. So this is a... Bio. Let's go, lesbians. Let's go. <laughs> the AV Club said it's no moonlight. <laughs> no. Um, 
This is a biopic about Lizzie Borden, who is an American woman tried and acquitted of the axe murders of her father and stepmother in Massachusetts in the 19th century. Yet even though she was acquitted, the story's sort of become the, the stuff of myth and legend. And basically this movie, Lizzie, which came out in 2018 and is streaming around on Shudder, imagines another take on what might have happened. So um, in the film, uh, Chloe Sevigny plays Lizzie Borden, who lives with her wealthy but domineering father, played by Jamie Sheridan, who I was like, how do I know that guy? Played Randall Flagg in the TV show version of The Stand in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Good actor. Yeah. And his new uh, and his wife, who's played by the always great Fiona Shaw, Irish actress. Mm. And on top of her dad just being this like awful creep, um, her and her stepmother don't get along. Um, however, as tensions um, start to escalate within the family, um, which is added to by the fact that Lizzie's father has begun receiving threats from a mysterious source in the post, um, Lizzie forms a relationship with her family's new Irish housekeeper, Bridget, played by Kristen Stewart. You'll have to excuse me. I'd completely forgotten she put you in here. Such an awful little room. We have possessions stashed all over the house. Not enough closets, I'm afraid. My name's Lizzie. Call me Maggie, miss. None of that Maggie or Patty business. Just picking a name out of a hat for every boy or girl that comes from a certain place. It's terrible. What's your proper name? Bridget. Your hair prints loose, Bridget. Yeah, this is an odd, interesting movie that I think is worth watching, even if it's never really as good as it, as it could be or mm, as I want yeah. it to be, you know? Because, like, this was a real passion project for Seven Yee. She produced the movie. It was written by her longtime friend, uh, this guy called Bryce Cass. And it took a couple of years to get to the screen, and they tried to get it made at HBO as a TV show, but for whatever reason, it fell through. So they stripped it back to movie length. And then the director, who was originally meant to helm the project, dropped out, leading them to hire Craig William McNeil, who I think we both know best for directing the really creepy first season of Channel Zero. Mm. Yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. I, was about to, I thought you were about to say who we both know personally. Hello, Craig. Oh. <laughs> Craig, is that you? Yeah. Or is it just me? <laughs> um, no. And is Craig William McNeil in the room with us now? <laughs> yeah, this movie premiered at Sundance in 2018, but like, I think around that time, Seveny did an interview with the Huffington Post, or the Huff Post, I think it's called now, where she didn't slam the movie or anything, but did say that the finished version of it wasn't exactly what she had envisioned mm. all those years. And she said that she wanted it to be a rousing smash the patriarchy piece mm. uh, that was Black Swan meets Capote. But just based on what Sivini says and on that first season of Channel Zero, I don't think Craig William McNeil is that vibe. I think he's more of a clinical filmmaker yeah, yeah. than that. And Sivini said, like, I think Craig is very restrained. Craig has a lot of vision. I think he's a great filmmaker. But I think maybe the movie could so easily go camp because she is also a camp figure. I think he was very frightened of pushing emotion in that direction where it might turn to that. So he was really putting the reins on a lot performance-wise. And she said, what was so much harder with this film was I was a producer on this and this was my baby. I developed it from the get-go. I had to relinquish control and power over to other producers and the director of course i've been in countless other movies where scenes um all of a sudden disappear but because i was so close to material it became harder for me to let go of stuff mm. and you know she came like a lot of the punchier moments and scenes which deepened the characters and their relationships to each other were either trimmed or cut and you know watching the movie i do see a lot of where Sivini is coming from because like 
the movie is based on something that has gone on to be kind of considered folklore status and it, you know it's reframing the Lizzie Borden story to be about female empowerment it depicts this lesbian relationship between Lizzie and her housekeeper Bridget um, and it puts that at the kind of the core of the story it also features axe murders mm. and you read about it and you think all the pieces are there for this to be a very entertaining in a sort of true crime you know shocking and sensational way while also containing deeper more thought-provoking elements as well but if I think of like Savini wanted this to be a Black Swan meets Capote, the end result is more just Capote. For the majority of its runtime, it's not very heightened at all. It's all just slow building tension. Like the camera is often very still with scenes shot at a distance and, and a bit of a, a remove from mm. characters. There's not a lot of music. It takes place almost entirely in this like normal looking kind of old timey house set. And um, yeah, the vibe is just very much kind of quietly ratcheting tension in the vein of something like Michael Haneke. And it's well done, and like I think McNeil seems to take the plight of Lizzie and Bridget as depicted in this film very seriously. But I think this particular version of the story that Savini describes is crying out for someone like Paul Verhoeven, right, or even yeah. like James Wan bringing like malignant energy, you know, to take a crack at it. They can make it feel like extremely camp and a bit ill-disciplined, while at the same time still probing the deeper, more complex themes of the story. Yeah. And um, I will say though, the ending of Lizzie is pretty phenomenal. After the slow build, McNeil does give you the goods and it's like totally cathartic while also, I think, finally getting at the vibe Savigny and, and I personally had wanted. And um, spoilers and a bit of a trigger warning, but um, it's this extended scene where Borden is shown stripping down completely nude and killing her stepmother with an axe. This is after um, she and her father threatened to send Lizzie away to a psychiatric hospital um, after the dad sees her having sex with Bridget. Mm. And then following Lizzie killing the stepmother, Bridget is seen going to do the same thing to Lizzie's father, who had sexually assaulted her on multiple occasions throughout the movie, but can't do it. So Lizzie finishes the task as Bridget recoils in horror. Right. And um, yeah, just on Stuart as Bridget, I think she's very good. Her old timey Irish accent, for one thing, is a lot better than many other American A-listers. It doesn't get too I did diddly I, <laughs> which is nice. <laughs> um, and I think that guarded quality, I, I think she naturally possesses, with with that, like it always reads as though there is always something kind of raging under the surface with her, and I think that makes the scenes showing the division between her status as an Irish immigrant servant and this wealthy family she works for really pop. There's this great bit at the beginning where um, Christian Stewart's character introduces herself to Fiona Shaw's stepmother and is like, "I'm the new housemaid, ma'am. I'm uh, Bridget," and Fiona Shaw is like, "In this house, you'll be referred to as Maggie." <laughs> and Shaw shows Bridget like her sleeping quarters. And says, um, "Is it a cupboard under the stairs?" No, no it's a, it's a quite an okay room, but it's a bit spare. And she's like, "Feel free to bring some of your own things if it will make you feel more at home." Which yeah, seems nice. And Bridget says, "Thank you." And she, just as Shaw leaves, like she goes within reason, of course. <laughs> it gets very kind of like, Ooh. yeah. And um, Christian Stewart doesn't have a lot of dialogue for a lot of the early portion of the movie, but you really get a sense from her performance of Bridget trying to keep a stiff upper lip for the people she's serving, but obviously being uncomfortable at both how she's looked down on by them and also how they treat Lizzie and you really feel that mass Bridget wears breakdown over the course of the movie as Lizzie's father begins visiting her bedroom at night demanding sex because he views Bridget as his property and also as she receives word that her mother has died in the post and also as she and Lizzie grow closer at first as friends and allies against Lizzie's father and stepmother but before coming something more and um yeah, as I said before, the movie is kind of shot in this icy clinical matter that doesn't really allow the movie ever to get like truly inside its character's headspace. You know, we're always like observing them at a distance. And because of that, I don't think it's as emotional a movie as it could be. But I do feel like there is a genuine warmth to the scenes Lizzie and Bridget share and a sense of their kind of growing attraction to each other because of the social mores of the time in which the movie is set. You know, like I don't think lesbianism was a thing that was much discussed. Yeah. 
that's all kind of on the actors, you know, and their chemistry and how they gaze at each other or how Case 2 will, you know, delicately touch Savigny as she helps her put on one of those, like, really old-timey, you know, old-timey kind of restrictive blouses, yeah. um, which makes the kind of nudity in the climax feel, like, oddly, like, another act of defiance <laughs> against the patriarchy, you know? So, like, I kind of liked it overall. I okay. think I'd give it, like, three and a half, three, three stars out of five. All right, know? yeah. No, I've always been curious to check it out. I yeah. never have for some reason. I think it's because it's, like, it's nearly two hours as far as I know. And I've just never found that kind of time. Not that I haven't found that kind of time, but I've, I've always been hesitant to, like, yeah. commit to And it is a bit of a, to... like, there was a part of it where I was like, oh, I must have watched, like, an hour and, it, it, like, 30 minutes passed. Oh, Jesus. But but it does does ratchet and build right, into yeah. something good. And, like, I, it's one of those things where I was watching it, I wasn't quite enjoying it, but... I really like the ending and then I really because I really like the ending it kind of like haunted me right I, yeah I'm still yeah, kind yeah. of thinking about it so yeah I, I think it's definitely worth watching for the themes the finale and the great performances even with my reservations before we wrap up will we talk about what's next for Case 2 yeah sure well she's only got one thing on the IMDb but it's uh, our boy David Cronenberg woo Crimes of the Future yeah. um I got the plot here. Set in a not-so-distant future wherein humans can alter their biological makeup, a beloved performance artist, Pippa Viga Mortensen, has embraced this, sprouting new and unexpected organs in his body. Along with his partner, played by Leigh Sadu, the artist has turned the removal of these organs into a spectacle for his loyal followers to marvel at in real-time theatre. But with both the government and a strange subculture taking note, the artist is forced to consider what will be his most shocking performance of all. <gasps> cut off his dick <laughs> no um, I think that sounds really good mm. and I love that 2022 is going to be the year of kind of horror auteurs coming back yeah yeah obviously Ari Aster has a new movie coming out this year Disappointing Boulevard Brandon Cronenberg has a new movie coming out this year David's Son mm. Infinity Pool with my boy Skarsgård Alexander and uh, Mike Flanagan has a t- new TV show coming to Netflix and Jordan Peele just dropped yeah. the trailer for Nope did you see the trailer for Nope I haven't no not yet looks excellent I just Dario Argento his Dark glasses, yeah. yeah, going to shutter. I kind of got good. It's going to shutter. Uh huh. I did. They hear snapped that. it up. Woo! <laughs> I've heard it's a bit of a return to form, so I'm excited for that. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Any other news or scandal? Or you I know she's directing a film, uh, or she's like prepping to direct a film. I think it's the price of water or something like that, or something like that. The weight of water, the something of water. Anyway, it's like a mm. it's a memoir or an autobiography by. That I only looked at her acting in IMDb. I never thought to look at her directing. Yeah, she's, so she's okay. directing a movie soon enough, I think. Yeah. Oh, hopefully. Within the next she, year or she two. She directed a short for that homemade yeah, project, which yeah. was interesting on Netflix, which mm. people can check out. But um, yeah, I think she's really talented. Yeah, yeah. very much so. Always in the bag for yeah. Christmas Stewart. Um, rate and view and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Email I know the Facebook gmail.com. Send you know, us a nice review. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Andrew, where can people find more of your work? You can find me at the Heads of Gaming section where we talk about what we play, why we play, and how we play it. And um, you can also check me out at joe.e where I write about news and the odd entertainment story. See you later, Cinephiles. Bye-bye. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 